What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Go ahead and follow that account if you haven't already, EthosFantasyBB. That's where you'll get all of our new updates throughout the rest of draft season and, of course, all through 2024 as well. Podcasts, articles, polls, draft guide updates, any bit of baseball content, that is where we will share it out from EthosFantasyBB. If you do not use social media or you don't have it, go to SportsEthos.com. You'll get everything there right from the source. Let's talk about the Baltimore Orioles. That is going to be the main topic today because, well, we're all trying to figure out what the hell exactly happened this morning in terms of their injury reporting. I don't know if these are old injuries that are being reported today or if players are actually getting hurt as camp starts, but hell of a day to be an Orioles fan. So the big one is Kyle Bradish. We'll go in order here and we'll talk with about Kyle Bradish at first, so... He has a right UCL sprain. He's going to open the season on the IL. This is generally a precursor to Tommy John surgery. So their plan as of now is to, you know, shut him down. And I think they're going to, at this point anyway, because it's still very early in the process, there's no plan to immediately put him under the knife or anything. I think they're going to slow play this and see exactly what happens over the next couple of weeks. I know that sounds very vague, but um, we, we don't know what's going to happen. So their their general manager, Michael Elias, said, I'm not at a point where I want to start putting a timeline on when we're going to see him in Major League action. We're prepping him for a lot of action in 2024, and we're getting him ready for that as expeditiously and responsibly as possible. Expeditiously and responsibly do not usually go together in the same sentence. They're a tricky pairing uh, to you know, to get him ready fast, but also responsibly. They want him to have a lot of action this year. There's a chance he has no action this year. They need to be very, very, very careful. And uh, you know, I feel like this was something that they knew about. And I, I don't think that I had personally heard this that Bradish had any UCL problems. I, I feel like we would have all talked about this in the fantasy world. But the Orioles probably did, or they were probably aware of this to some extent when they traded for Corbin Burns. So for those people who are expecting a big Blake Snell move today or a Jordan Montgomery or a trade for Dylan Cease, it's probably not happening. You know, So just if you're an Orioles fan thinking, well, at least we're going to get Blake Snell today, I, I would pump the brakes on that a little bit. My big concern is, like, Bradish, is he going to pitch at all this year at this point? Because they're saying you know, we, want still, we still want him to have a heavy workload or we want prepping him for a lot of action. That just seems... Not disingenuous, but it seems like they're maybe brushing over the severity of what a UCL injury is. Now, there's also the fact that it was originally reported as a sprain, and then Jeff Passan said that it is a tear. And I think there is a difference. I'm not somebody who is a medical professional by any means, but just from a couple Google searches, I think that a tear is more severe than a strain. And sometimes it it can be weird, the terminology we use. Like sometimes a sprain can be worse than a break, and you you wouldn't assume that. So sometimes there are weird medical uh, things that go on. But whether it's a tear or a sprain at this point, Kyle Bradish has probably got to be off of your draft board at this point. Unless he falls like hundreds of picks, I just can't see him being somebody that I'm going to be interested in. Kyle Bradish has been pushing a top 100 pick in draft season. Um, just the most recent ADP, and I'm looking over about the last month or so, his ADP is 83. He's gone from a range of 73 to 111. 
all of draft season, you're looking at 95 for all drafts that have taken place. But if you narrow that down, he was starting to go a little bit higher. People were very, very interested in Kyle Bradish. I haven't gotten any shares myself, and I'm pretty glad I haven't, just out of you know, just luck. It's not like I was avoiding him thinking this was going to happen or something, but I was kind of just lucky to not land on Kyle Bradish there in the fifth or sixth round or seventh round of any of my drafts. At this point, he's got to be going outside of the top 250 picks for me to even take a chance on him. Pitchers, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it with Justin Verlander just yesterday. Um, when there's an injury coming into the season, and it's not just Verlander, it's not just anybody in particular. It's it's any player. They're coming into the season with an injury. I don't want them on my team. I'm going to have enough injuries to deal with throughout the season. There is going to be enough bullshit that happens with guys needing Tommy John and their ACLs go and their Achilles go and they get hit by a pitch and <clears throat> a million other things that are going to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't want to set myself up for you know a team that's going to be plagued with injuries all season. And if you take a Kyle Bradish, like let's say he falls 60 picks. He goes to 140 and you think, okay, He's dropped. His price has almost doubled. I can take a chance here. It's still, you know, 15-team or 12-team. It's like a top 10 or 12-round pick. It's still a foundational piece. Unless he falls to the point where he is no longer a foundational piece on my team, 250 picks in, you're not really talking about quote-unquote foundational pieces. In a 12-teamer, it's like around 21 or something. I think that's probably where he would have to fall for me to have any interest in Kyle Bradish. If he's going in the top 150, even the top 200 picks at that point for me, I think it's still too risky. There's still a lot of quote-unquote foundational pieces that you're finding in the, in that range, whether it's position players, whether it's pitchers, closers, whatever it is, he'd have to fall. Like, I'm just trying to figure out based on who else is going in the 250, 300 range, who I would take him over at this point. And it's like, I'm taking Kenta Maeda over him. I'm taking Marcus Stroman over him. I'm taking Matt Brash over him at this point. Ryan Presley, I talked about yesterday how I really like Ryan Presley still. I'm probably taking him. Uh, Edward Cabrera, that's the point where you kind of start to think, well, I don't know if Cabrera is somebody I want to trust. Chris Paddock, Cutter Crawford. And that's like the 270 range. For me personally, that's pretty much where he has to go. The 270 and beyond range. And I don't know if he's going to get there. Maybe he does. At this point, you kind of just got to reserve judgment and see what the plan is. If it's maybe a couple of weeks and it's just actually not as severe as we're all thinking it is, this might be okay. But again, even if they do give him a clean bill of health in a couple of weeks and they say, yeah, it looks like he's okay, the UCL is very tricky. You know, we saw this for years with Jacob deGrom. It was hanging by a thread. And there's a lot of different examples. deGrom is the most you know, public one of just kind of waiting for that UCL to tear. And when there's a sprain or a, or a tear or whatever it is, it's usually going to get worse before it gets better, and it's usually going to require some surgery. So at this point, Kyle Bradish off my draft board. Unless he falls 200 picks or so, that would be the only scenario where I would maybe take a chance on him. But even then, I don't think he's like, a, you have to take him here. He's fallen 200 picks. Like, I think that he is somebody that you can take in the right build if he falls that far, but he's not going to be on any of my teams at this point unless it really, truly is a massive, massive fall. Let's talk about John Means because, again, this was just a brutal, brutal day of news for the Orioles. John Means is about a month behind in his timeline, and he's expected to miss opening day. I don't know when they figured this out. Again, maybe we're just getting all this news now because this is when camp opens and this is when they want to report it. It is frustrating because it, it seems unlikely that this is all just, oh, they figured this out today. It would be nice to know this a little bit farther in advance, but in any event, John Means has a likely stint on the IL coming because he's a month behind because of his elbow. 
Uh, he had a flare-up in his surgically repaired elbow in October, and you know the previous indications were that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, he was going to be okay. Even if it was going to be a, a cautious spring training, that he was going to be able to start the season. At this point, you know, it's another very difficult player to draft. You're not talking about nearly the same draft capital with John Means as you are with Kyle Bradish, but still, you're talking about a guy who's been going in the top 250 picks. Now, of course, that will fall. That'll probably fall 100-plus picks, but John Means at this point is out of the range of drafting for me as well, like especially for the shallow team players, which is most of you. If you're playing in 10 or 12-team leagues, John Means doesn't have to be on your draft board at all. Kyle Bradish also probably, if you're in a 10 or 12-team league, is like, you know, the way I'm talking in that first segment is more like a deeper league context almost. 12-team league, I don't know if you can really be convinced of convincing me to draft Kyle Bradish and certainly not John Means. He was already kind of on the borderline. Like, if you're in a 12-teamer and you want to take a shot with your last pick, sure, you know, like, there, there's no real harm in that. He plays for a good team, is a better ballpark than it used to be. You, you could make the argument for that for John Means before this as like, you know, he's a last round, last two rounds type of pick. But at this point, again, he is getting shut down because of an elbow problem. He's already somebody where the strikeouts are going to be kind of iffy to begin with. And when I say kind of iffy, it's going to be below average strikeout number. You're hoping for great ratios. And I'm not really sure that I'm going to be as optimistic on him at this point. I'm not even not sure. I'm, I'm definitely sure that I won't be as optimistic on John Means as I would have been yesterday or even a couple days ago he's off the draft board in redraft leagues for me outside of draft champions if you're playing a draft and hold type of format then I don't have a really big problem with it because he's probably going to fall 100 plus picks and if you're getting him at like 400 and something then then I don't have a really big problem with it at that point I'm again not a big target if he falls enough then like any player there the price will eventually be right but I think most of you guys can just scratch out John Means and scratch out Kyle Bradish from your draft boards for this season. They are not players that you are going to be needing to look at on draft day. There's going to be too many headaches that likely come along with rostering either or both of these guys, and specifically Bradish. Like, if you have early shares, it's really brutal. If you took a couple of John Means shares, it doesn't really matter that much because he was already in the range of he's not hurting you too much if he doesn't pan out 250, 300, 270, 240, like – He's not going to hurt you so much. Kyle Bradish, there are people who have absolutely drafted him as their number one starting pitcher this year. Based on where he's been going, I, I'm not like talking about specific people, but that's definitely been a strategy that's been employed is maybe not a lot, but you wait and then you take a Kyle Bradish and you take a Bobby Miller or a Zach Eflin and kind of wait on pitching strategy. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, who have Kyle Bradish as their SP1 on some teams, and those teams are looking shit out of luck, unfortunately. It's the problem with drafting early. You do get great value sometimes. You'll get an amazing discount on a guy. Like I took George Kirby in the fifth round of a draft earlier this year, 15-team draft, and now he's like a third rounder. So you do get early values, but then there's also the other side of that coin of the Kyle Bradishes, the Brandon Woodruffs of the world. Um, you know, those type of players where they're going to get hurt before the season starts. They're not going to be much of an asset for you. And that's kind of just the problem 
with early drafting, but you know, there's there's positives and negatives to it. But with John Means and Kyle Bradish, I think I got to be out on both of them. Now, the question at this point is who is going to take over in the rotation? Who is going to be afforded more of an opportunity? It looks like Tyler Wells, we have not like full confirmation, but it looks like Tyler Wells is going to be actually getting a spot in the rotation and where there is an opportunity for fading with Bradish and with Means, there is an opportunity for buying with Tyler Wells, I think. I've been a big Tyler Wells fan. I've only drafted him on one of my seven teams, and it was actually just over the weekend at the live uh, draft that I did on the weekend. The first time I have a share of Tyler Wells, and I think that that's going to be something that I'm leaning into a little bit more. His role was the main concern for me, and now it looks like he is going to be somebody that they have to use. They were in a bit of a luxurious position before of maybe using Tyler Wells out of the pen or you know, as a sixth starter occasionally or whatever which was not going to help us for fantasy purposes. It's a nice real-life position to be in. But now he's actually in a spot where it looks like they're going to need him to start 25-plus games. And Tyler Wells, like I don't think that he is a superstar pitcher by any means, but you know, solid, solid control. He doesn't allow a ton of base hits. His whip last year was .99, a sub-1 whip. And yes, he did get sent down in the second half, which I didn't agree with. It was a couple of bad starts right out of the All-Star break. And they sent him down. He came back as a reliever. He actually ended up with a save last year. But at this point, he has got to be a starter for them. They're, they don't have wiggle room to be messing around with you know anybody else, really. like there, there are not that many more options. Wells is likely going to be the number three or the number four starter. It's going to be Corbin Burns and Grayson Rodriguez. And then probably Dean Kramer. But I could even see Wells taking that three spot and Kramer goes to four. And then also Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin looks like he probably is going to have a spot in this rotation now where before it was not not set in stone at all. In fact, it looked like he was on the other um, on the outside looking in, I should say. At this point, you know, I think that Cole Irvin does make a decent play in deep, deep leagues. You know, his ADP is 694. If you are still doing draft and holds, last three rounds or so, you're getting Cole Irvin around 48, 47, 49, somewhere in that range. And you have a guy who is actually, like, not a bad pitcher, Cole Irvin. He's not amazing, but I think that there is potential there for like a mid fours type of ERA. You know, you're going to get some decent wins probably if he's in the rotation the whole year on, on a good team. I, I think that there you could do a lot worse at pick 700. And will it go up a little bit if he has a, a secure job? Yeah, it'll move up a little bit. But when you're starting from a place of 700, it's not going to move up to a point where it will preclude me from drafting him. But it might go up to like 650, 640. But even if it's round 44 and you're taking a guy who has a chance to start 20-plus games, and he's shown us like over the last couple of years that he's been not bad. 442 ERA this past year, 398 the year prior, and 424 uh, back in 2021. It's not amazing, but it's not bad. At that point of the draft, you're just hoping for some kind of upside, and there is upside in Cole Irvin, especially right now. With the way it looks that he will be getting a starting job in the rotation, I think that he is worth a chance, specifically in those deeper leagues. Not somebody that I'm targeting in your 12-team leagues and your 10-team leagues. The deeper you get, the more appealing he is for me, though. Now, Gunnar Henderson is another one. Uh, I don't think it's nearly as severe as the other players that we are talking about here, but he is nursing a strained oblique, and they do expect him to be ready for opening day. Um, They don't believe he's in jeopardy, but... That, of course, would assume that nothing else pops up here, that there's going to be no other, you know, setbacks in the rehab or other injuries that come out of it. It's 
it's making me so I was already kind of out on Gunnar Henderson. You guys, if you've listened to the show, you've heard me talk at length about why I don't think that he warrants a second round pick. I think that he's like a third or a fourth rounder who has been going a lot of the time late second round as high as pick 21. Uh, you know, that's for me, it was already a little bit too expensive. Now at this point, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I don't want to draft players where there is an injury concern heading into the year. There is going to be, I think you're going to have to deal with so many injuries, whether you have IL spots or not, you're going to be making those decisions of, should I hold this guy? Should I keep, you know, take a zero on my bench for the week? Like there are going to be so many headaches. That's just the nature of fantasy sports. You're going to have a ton of injuries. Gunnar Henderson having, even if it's a small injury at this point where they say he's probably ready for opening day, it's not like he's off the board or anything like that. But where I was already fading him in round two slash round three, that just makes it an easier fade for me at that point. If he has to miss 20, 30 games, and I'm projecting here, like I have no idea, I'm not expecting that, but that would really kill his value. Gunnar Henderson is a volume guy. Like there are certain players in fantasy who can get by just based on the per game numbers, specifically pitchers fall into that category more, a guy with massive power. But Gunnar Henderson is a guy where, you know, in 150 games last year, he had 28 homers and 10 stolen bases. If he has to miss any time or if he's dealing with some kind of injury, then you're probably looking at about the same thing. And he's already projected for, you know, about the same, slightly worse, 25 and 10, 25 and 11, about the same thing, if not slightly worse. And if we're talking about an injury hampering him or any missed time, those 100 runs are going down. Those 82 RBIs are probably going down. Everything is going down. So he's not a big batting average asset. He's not a huge burner on the base path. So you're not talking about like, oh, even if he misses you know, a couple of weeks, he can make that up in steals. If he misses a couple of weeks, those 10 steals could turn into seven or eight. And I think we're talking about somebody who becomes a very, very risky investment in round two. That might be your first batter on your team. Uh, it's just a very, very risky investment for me at this point. And I think that, you know, my own rankings will probably have Gunnar Henderson in the fifties or sixties. Like I'm still tinkering with my overall rankings, but I'm thinking that he'll probably come in around 60. That's I think what makes the most sense for him at this point. Um, and it could change still, right? If we get positive updates, he's progressing. Well, he'll be there for opening day. Then he probably goes back up a little bit, but as of right now, I just can't get behind him in the second round. Third round even, those are super foundational pieces. Gunner was already somebody I was a little nervous about, and now you got an injury mixed in. Again, I don't want to be like doom doom and gloom here. They say he's going to be ready for opening day. You probably got to take him at their word, but you they don't know. Like We don't know what's going to happen over the next few weeks. If he's going to tweak something, if something gets strained, got to shut him down for a couple more weeks, and then... It's potentially like, oh, late April, he'll be back, and then early May. And then, like, it's just, I don't expect that to happen. But that is the potential risk that you take when you draft a guy who is coming into the year injured. Some people will jump on the discount, take him around later, and be very happy. For me, I'm just kind of out on Gunnar Henderson based on price. If he was going in the fourth round, fifth round, then sure. But second round has always felt too expensive for me, especially at this point. So unless he comes down several rounds, I don't think I'm going to be getting any more Gunnar Henderson. In fact, I haven't drafted him once this year through my seven drafts. But that'll do it for us. Uh, I had to push back the Mike Carter White Sox episode until tomorrow. We're recording that one later today. Just had to figure out timing. But that will be your Friday show. We'll get that out for you early on Friday morning. Mike Carter from Fantrax. We are going to be doing our Chicago White Sox preview. I hate to put Mike through that because he's a dear friend. But that is his team. Uh, we are going to be talking White Sox tomorrow, so make sure you're checking that one out. And go check us out over on social media if you haven't done so. Joe Rico 99 
Ethos Fantasy BB, and of course, sportsethos.com for all updates right from the source. That'll do it, guys. Make sure you're tuning in tomorrow with Mike, but until then, take care and have a great night. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.